well, at the time, they didn't realize United States was the country. They thought Michigan was the country. And so they always wanted Michigan food. We're citizens of Michigan. And it's like, okay, well, we'll get this geography thing down eventually. <laughs> time for that class in homeschooling, right? Geography yeah. class. <laughs> this is the The Extra Pack of Peanuts Travel Podcast. Episode 265. The world's shortest presidential term ever was Mexico's 34th president, Pedro Las Carreño, who ruled for less than one hour before quitting. Could you hear those air quotes around quitting? I've never traveled around Mexico in an RV. I've also never had four kids, and I've never done both at the same time like today's awesome guest, Paul Cortman. And no, he doesn't need to have a backpack that's the perfect travel carry-on size because he's not in a plane, but you can bet with six people shoved into an RV going around Mexico, you need to save as much space as possible. So whether you're flying on a plane or whether you're RVing around Mexico with five other people, the best travel carry-on backpack out there, the Tortuga Outbreaker backpack. You want to check out this brand new version that they have, the Outbreaker. You can do that by going to tortugabackpacks.com. And don't forget, if you decide to pick one up, use the promo code EPOP, E-P-O-P, all capitals, because that'll get you 10% off your entire order. Hello, travel nerds, and welcome to the Extra Pack of Peanuts Travel Podcast, the show that teaches you how to travel more while spending less. I'm your host, Travis Sherry, and joining me today is someone who is not only location independent, who's not only living out one of my dreams by traveling around full-time in an RV, but who is doing it with four kids and a dog, Paul Cortman of nomadtogether.com. Paul, thanks for joining me today and welcome. Hey, thanks. I'm glad to be here and thanks for having me. Uh, you did forget to mention a wife in there too. So it happens to be four kids, a dog and a wife. But yeah, we're all one there happy family in this rolling apartment. That is awesome. And so we're going to get into how you're basically Superman. And of course, like all the logistics of how you're doing what you're doing, you know, day to day life, what's that look like for you, for the kids, for the wife, for the dog, even how you can afford to do this, how you can possibly balance life and work, where the heck everyone sleeps. We're going to get into all that. Um, as well as, you know, some favorite travel mishaps, of course. But first, the first thing I want to get into is that your life was not always like this. You're doing it now, but that wasn't always the case. So can you walk us through a brief you know, timeline of how you ended up in an RV with four kids and a wife and a dog and being location independent? Like, you know, this is not a normal thing by any stretch. How did you get there? <laughs> well, I'd actually like to think that it's becoming more normal. So, uh, or it's And it just, is, it's, thankfully. It's the lie that I tell myself to make myself feel okay with the strange life that I lead. But uh, <laughs> anyways, what 
what happened was we were living in Michigan in the United States in the woods. Uh, we actually bought the house that my wife grew up in. Uh, after we got together, we got married, we had kids and we bought a house, etc. And I was working in an hour away and for an agency. And so I ended up putting between in the office work at home and the 10 hours of commute in a week, I was putting anywhere from 70 to 80 hours away from my wife and kids. And so, you know, traditional story there. I, instead of selling everything and leaving, it was more along the lines of, I just wanted to start my own business. And so I started my own business doing the exact same thing I was doing for the agency, only from the basement in my house in the woods. And we had already decided to homeschool our kids uh, out of a philosophical choice. We had that, you know, that was a decision we made before having kids. And so here we are. My wife stays home, educates the kids. I stay home, work in the basement. And suddenly we're living a location-independent lifestyle in a house in Michigan. And, you know, after owning that house for seven years, we woke up one day, well, one afternoon we were laying around looking at each other going... Uh, I don't like this life anymore. Uh, you know, we, we designed a lifestyle around hobby farming and organic and eating local and all this. And it was just like, we're, we're just not into it anymore. It's not working for us. And I had been listening to a podcast who, uh, much like EPOP right now, uh, convinces people to do things differently. And, uh, and so it was just like, oh no, what if we could do what all these digital nomads are doing? And, uh, and I was, just bluffing, thinking my wife would go, no way. And she bought it hook, line, and sinker. And she said, run the numbers. Is it cheaper? Is it truly cheaper for us to live in Asia than it is for us to live in Michigan? And uh, and the numbers were true. I mean, Michigan is, uh, is a low cost of living as far as the United States is concerned. We couldn't find anything else in the U.S. But Thailand, Philippines, I mean, it was just like, man, I didn't, I could actually work less, spend t- more time with my wife and kids, and still have increase our quality of living because of massages and all the other, you know, not cooking every meal. That was about three years ago that we decided that we sold the house uh, and then um, bought our tickets and went to Southeast Asia. All right. So you take a few big steps in there, right? You take the step away from, quote unquote, the traditional life of, of going into work and, and you design it so you don't have to go into work. So, and, and that is thankfully becoming a lot more common. I love the tagline, do things differently. Maybe I'll just start saying that, uh, do things differently. So, so you do that and that's, a big, and that's a big step, but kind of on a lot of people's radar. You know, a lot of people working from home, two days a week, remote, you know, it makes sense to, to, to you know, society, I guess. So then... Your wife says, run the numbers, and now you're taking what in my mind is an even bigger step and, and actually going to go because you have the kids and, and, and uproot your life and all. Had you traveled before or was this just going to be completely new? Like, Had anything set you up for this, you know, this thing or was it like, no, we're breaking all bonds? It's like <laughs> we're throwing caution to the wind and just going for it. Well, my wife and I both, before we met, had traveled internationally uh, since we were 13. So, you know, we had the travel bug uh, pretty hardcore set in us. And it was just one of those things of where you, you, you buy the 
the Western script of you have to settle down once you have kids. And we never thought about, guess what? If you're really passionate about travel and that's part of what brought you together and after you got married, you spent a year overseas before coming back, uh, maybe genetically your kids might be predisposed to loving travel as well. It just never dawned on us. We thought, oh, we have kids. We have to sit still. And it's like, now that we did this, uh, we actually promised the kids we would be back for Christmas uh, because we didn't know, you know, it was a trial run. We'll see what happens. And so we were gone for nine months. And when we told them, we bought our plane tickets back to, and they don't realize, United, well, at the time, they didn't realize United States was the country. They thought Michigan was the country. And so they always wanted Michigan food and they wanted to go back, you know, like, hey, when can we, we're citizens of Michigan. And it's like, okay, well, we'll get this geography thing down eventually. <laughs> But when we told them we bought tickets back... Time for that class in homeschooling, right? (laughs) Geography class. (laughs) You've been to more countries than most of your peers, but you don't know that Michigan is a state. Okay. We'll give you some grace there. Um, so they, when we told them individually, my wife sat down, the, the big three, because the little one was only two years at the time, so his ability to cognate wasn't really there. He just was along for the ride. Um, but the big three... Uh, she sat him down individually and said, hey, we bought tickets to go back to Michigan. And each one of them, through tears, not knowing what the others had done, had said, that's fine. I want to see grandma and grandpa, but promise me we won't stop traveling. And it was at that moment where Becky and I just kind of went, duh, our kids love this. They love this lifestyle. And so then, you know, as they say, the rest is history. We took that trial run in that moment of we purchased tickets, we're heading back to the States and our kids are crying. We kind of went, oh, we get it. They love this. And, you know, that's been a year and a half and they they haven't looked back. And now our youngest, who's now four, he's just all about it. Um, and he can totally say it himself that he doesn't want to sit still. He doesn't really remember having, you know, one house for multiple years. So that that's incredible. Now, what was it like when you first started? Because now they love traveling. And and I think, you know, most people I talk to, uh, actually, everyone I've come in contact with who's traveled with children, when I meet their children or talk to them as, as parents, say like, oh my, our kids love it as much as we do. Like they're living this, I mean, kids are like, this is just fun. They want fun all the time. And if something's new, of course, it's fun. What were they like when you first told them, okay, guys, we're hopping in, you know, we're, we're going across the world and uh, we're going to pull you out of school if they were in school. I don't know. Um, what was their initial reaction to, to this adventure or this trip? Well, they weren't in school, so there, there wasn't any change there, but it was the... Oh, right, because they were homeschooled, right. right. Yeah. Having, having flown. And they had never flown before. So we actually ended up doing a, a a domestic flight to Utah just to get them aware of it. It was our first Airbnb experience, our first, you know, whatever. And and so it was just, you know, a tiny little toe in the water to see what gear we had, what gear we needed, et cetera. And it worked really fantastically. But my wife it has this amazing ability to... Um, cause kids fear the unknown. We all fear the unknown and in kids, it can become 
illogical because it's like, well, really, it's just flying an airplane. It's no big deal. And they're like, but we don't know what it's like. And so we actually set up chairs in our living room and then taught the kids how to lean back because we're taking off. Whoa. And so like they got excited about this and they would show their grandparents and like, this is what it's like to fly in an airplane. And so then when we actually got on the airplane, they were geeked, man. They were so excited. They were ready for their bubble gum and they were just like, I am all about this. And so you couldn't keep them quiet, not from crying, but just from dad, look at this, mom, look at that, check this out. And all the people around us on the flights were just like, wow, those kids are awesome. And it was just because my wife has prepared these kids so much. One of the other um, tricks that we had was every half hour she had, or every hour, depending on the flight, she would have something new for them. So either a small little snack or a dollar store trinket. And so then it would keep their, they're always excited about these things. And so to this day, you know, three years later, they're just like, Ooh, when do we get to fly next? Because they know what that means is treats and toys. But uh, now it becomes new iPad games. Man. <laughs> I want to come hang out with the Courtmans, man. I get treats and toys every time, every hour I fly. You teach me how to how to lean back, man. It sounds like bliss for any type of kid, huh? Yeah, and and you know, I chalk that all up to my wife of having the insight of really instilling excitement in these kids, uh, teaching them what to look for. We would watch YouTube videos to understand how it works, and so uh, they were just, you know, the the thing you can't experience is cabin pressure. Like we could, we couldn't explain that. And we just talked through it and talked through it and talked through it. And then when they experienced it, they weren't crying. They're like, Oh, that's what you mean. And it's like, yeah, yeah. Perfect. It was, it was awesome. So, man, um, yeah, that, that's such a good life lesson, not just for kids, but I, I mean, almost for anyone. And, and one of the things we try to do with our podcast, and I know you guys try to do too, is just really be very on, like get people excited, of course, because it's hard not to be excited about stuff that you like and, and get excited talking about. And here we are, like both of us geeking out, sharing the excitement, but also like make sure you know what's happening. Not saying, oh, yeah, you're going to go become location independent. And boom. Yep. It's going to be great. And you're never going to have any issues. And life is going to be grand because if that's what someone thinks thinks it's going to be like when it's not like that. It's like, wait a second, I'm doing something wrong or I can't do this or I have to go back to normal life. Whereas if you give them some real life experiences like, okay, well, here's what happened when this happened. Here's what happened when I lost $6,000 a month and it sucked, you know, and all this, then at least you can formulate it from a, a perspective that is a little more full. And I think that's what you do with the kids with travel. Like you, you told them what to expect and then they're not, you know, when it happens, even if it's uncomfortable or a little different, it's almost like, okay, I know that's happening. No yeah. big deal. What, you know, what else you got type thing? It's, you know, I keep thinking of the illustration with business. And, uh, if you know, if you have a label for what it is, then, you know, then you feel more confident about it. So when you're trying to get product market fit and you get some feedback and you go, ah, so here's the real problem that I'm trying to solve. Here's the pain point. And you can label it instead of like, they hate me uh, and I'm a failure and this business sucks. It's like, no, this is a pain point. Ah, now I know what I need to put my marketing around. Now I need to know what I need to build and solve, etc. And so if you have a label for it, and that's the same thing we did with the kids is, you know, for their age, we gave them a label for cabin pressure, what to expect. And so when they felt it, when they saw it, they're like, ha, huh, that's what that is. 
So it's all about recognizing it. Yeah, it, it takes away the fear of the unknown because they, they know what's coming, even if they don't know what it's going to feel like or be like. I think the way you put it, just having a name, like being able to in your head say, this is what this is, not, oh my gosh, my ears are popping and my head hurts and all this kind of stuff. It's like, no, okay, this is just cabin pressure. Daddy said this to me and now, oh, big deal, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm dealing with it and uh, I'm going to get a trinket in 45 minutes, so who cares? <laughs> exactly. Um, <laughs> day-to-day life for, for you with, with the four kids and the dog. And the wife, day-to-day life, what's it like? Because you did that first trip and you were in the Philippines, right? So kind of fill us in, you were in the Philippines and, and you were living there for a little bit, but now you're in an RV. So, you know, what happened in the gap there? Why the RV? Why not, oh, we're going to bounce around and, and rent houses or something like that? Uh, lots to answer there. We decided that um, we basically did our research initially three years ago and found, you know, 12 or 15 places across the world that we would want to spend time because a, the weather is decent, the internet's good. Um, and there's, uh, you know, an impressive cost of living compared to Michigan, which is a cheaper cost of living. So it has to be really impressive. Uh, and so we looked at all that and kind of put these pins on the map based on the research that we did. Uh, when Southeast Asia, it's kind of nice because when you're, once you're in Southeast Asia, it's $50 to get anywhere. Now, remember we have six humans and so it's $300 for us to get anywhere, but you know, within reason, it's more affordable than when you're anywhere else in the world. Uh, Europe kind of with Ryanair, maybe, but anyways, we found these places and then we made the transition when we came back from Southeast Asia, um, and then started preparing for the next phase. I also had a business slip there. And so like I completely, I lost 90% of my revenue in three months. And uh, so we had to reconfigure a bunch of things before we could spend anything. Uh, and um, so we came back to Michigan just to try and revitalize my network and see if I could get more business. It ended up working, but we looked at the map of the next places we wanted to go, which were in the Americas. Mexico, Central America, and South America. And so it was like, you can't really fly from these places from one to the other. And when you get there, you really need a vehicle. And we found that anytime you rent a vehicle, it's a budget buster. And so it was just like, there's no way I want to fly to the Baja of Mexico and then rent a car or fly to San Diego, rent a car and drive down and spend three months in the Baja of Mexico. It just doesn't make financial sense. And so then I, you know, while we're trying to work through this problem, I one day said, hey, we have a minivan. Why are we planning to rent a car? Because when we came back to the States, we ended up buying a vehicle. You buy a used vehicle because it's cheaper than renting. And I was like, why don't we just drive that to Mexico? And my wife is like, okay, run the numbers because that's what she does. You know, like, hey, prove it to me. So we ran the numbers and it it made sense. And then And then the question became, well... A minivan for 50 hours is kind of annoying. Why don't we do like a motorhome? And so now, you know, the kids can pee while we're driving. And, uh, you know, it works out much better. We've never driven 50 hours in the motorhome. It basically, you get about a five to six hour drive and you're done. Um, and uh, in, in hindsight, I didn't realize how expensive it was to uh, maintain a motorhome. So, you know, we've we've shifted along the way. We've determined, yeah, this is great. This is a fantastic house. We love it. It's 300 square feet. Um, it's 
exactly what we need, uh, which, you know, we're actually looking at potentially adding more kids. And so then it's like, yes, we don't even need to add more space. We can do six kids in this. And don't quote me on that. Well, you're going to. But, um, you know, like it might happen. And so like, wow. But the size is not the problem when it's a house. The size is a problem when you're driving. And it just sucks the fuel down. If it weren't for fuel, we'd be okay. But yeah, we ended up, instead of driving the minivan to Mexico um, and point south, we ended up putting the minivan on a trailer behind the motorhome and pulling it to Mexico. So when we're going down the road, to give you a mind's eye, we are larger than an American semi. Uh, All put, we're 50 some feet long. Uh, our motorhome is 37, our trailer is 20, so that's 57 feet. Uh, and um, we don't turn quickly, we don't do anything quickly, but uh, but we have a lot of fun. And we, and believe it or not, everybody would say, You can't drive that in Mexico, and Mexico is so dangerous. If you're from the United States, Mexico is hell. Uh, and if you're from Australia, Bali is hell. But if you look at the other way around, Australians love Mexico, they think it's like nirvana and us we think that bali is just amazing and like wow so amazing you got to go to bali and it's just because the flights are more expensive but in reality mexico and bali share a lot in common and it's perfectly safe here and so we're having a blast uh essentially trying to cover 75 percent of the country through driving our rv through here all right so Explain to me. I mean, I know you say you say 300 square feet. Oh, we've got plenty of room where we might add kids, you know, and, and all that. But okay. And I, and I know it's going to be hard if you can, but if you can visually describe to us, you have a motorhome, you have four kids, it's you and your wife and the dog. How is it laid out? Like, what, you know, 300 square feet yeah. is not big. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, to you, it might feel big now, but it's not big, like no matter which way you slice it. Um, so how is it laid out? Like, what what does that look like? And, and is there tension there? You know, are people like on each other and getting um, frustrated? You know, what does that look well, like? Well, we have four kids. And so are people getting frustrated? Yes. It doesn't matter if you live in a 4,000 square foot, man, um, 40,000 square foot mansion or a 300 square foot tin shack. Uh, you know, it doesn't matter. They are going to choose to fight. And I was talking with another dad just a couple of weeks ago and he was like, dude, like, do your kids do this where don't touch me. And then they'll sit on each other. Don't touch me. You're touching me. Don't. And it's like, dude, move to the other room. Like, come on, really? Do you have to? And they do that. doesn't matter how big of a house you're going to have. Kids are going to find a way to fight. So uh, does it get irritating? Yeah. As parents, kids get irritating. It just does. Does it matter the size of the house? No. I don't think so. Um, you know, we are, we do have ways of navigating that. And guess what? The outdoors is huge. And so if kids are fighting, we kick them out the house, you know, like get out. You're not allowed in here. You're going to wrestle, go wrestle outside. Cause we don't want to hear you cry when you smash your brother's face, you know, like just go outside. And so there's some benefits there of we actually, the kids spend more time outside than they would when we were in a stick and brick house. Uh, plus, if you've ever been through a Michigan winter, you would understand why they don't spend much time outside. Um, anyways, they, so the layout, it's eight foot wide inside. So that gives you a little idea. We're wider than that outside. And then if you've ever been in an RV, uh, generally uh, ones this size, they'll have like a queen bed in the back. Um, and, and that's kind of quote the master bedroom. Then they have 
Uh, we have a bathroom area, so we actually have a stand-up shower and a full toilet and a full washer dryer uh, with a sink. So, like that's because it's such a large rig, it's it's pretty good that way. And then next to that is what's the dinette and a full well full kitchen. We'll put that in air quotes because. Um, I think I can put out a bowl and maybe a half of a bowl on the countertop before it all tips down. Uh, so it becomes really creative. We're always cutting vegetables on the dining room table uh, because you just don't have enough counter space. And if you let the dishes go for longer than one meal, you're screwed. Um, so next to the dining table is a couch. And then we have three captain's chairs, two for the driver and the passenger. And right behind the passenger, there's a tiny little table about maybe three, four foot square, and then a chair behind that. So there's three captain's chairs. Um, we have seat belts for six. The couch has three seat belts. The captain's chairs each have a seat belt. Um, but we took out the dinette. Typically a dinette folds down into a table. Uh, I'm sorry, into a bed. We took it out because it took up so much room and it, you know, like kids are small and those benches are huge. And we we're just like, wow, this is a complete waste of space. So we ended up finding some really, I can't sit at our dining room table where the kids sit because it's so tight and small in there. But we, you know, leveraged some space, uh, got this pretty sweet table that has a leaf that folds out. So Becky and I sit on the end. We can fit six people around our table. If we had to, we could pull the table out, pull the other leaf out, and we can fit eight. So you see where my wife is going with this. But uh, anyways, the... Yeah, time time for Thanksgiving, man. Yeah. Eight people around the table, you're set. <laughs> right. And then the couch does, it is a futon, so it does fold down. But we wanted, Becky and I, our habit is we put the kids to bed, we go out and we watch a Netflix show, and then we go to bed. We just need that time to unwind. And we did this when we were in a stick and brick house. And so when we moved into... Uh, the RV, we call it Gracie. When we moved into Gracie, we were just like, we still need that space. Like we want to put the kids to bed, but we don't want them in our living space. And so we looked at that bedroom with the single queen bed and we're just like, this is a complete waste of space. There's massive wardrobes in here. We're not going to have this much. I mean, we just got done living out of two duffel bags. Like there's no way we're going to have this much. And so I built bunk beds in here strategically stacked so that you know, basically, it's like sleeping in a submarine. Uh, you have, you know, 10, 12 inches above the mattress and kids can fit in there just fine. So we've got four bunks for them. My wife and kids are planning how to build two other bunks. Uh, I'm crazy about that. But um, but then the floor is actually where Becky and I sleep. We have a mattress that folds up and shoves under one of the bunks. So the kids get to play on this floor all day. Uh, it does have a door so we can separate them. Uh, and then I'm in the back actually doing the podcast right now because there's beds all around. And so it's good sound absorption. And uh, and then there's a door. And so the kids go in the front and, and they, in theory, stay quiet. We'll see if you can hear them. But... Uh, um, one of your earlier questions was the day to day, like, what does it look like? Well, we get up, we have breakfast and I sit down in front of my laptop and start working. Uh, Becky does a little bit of school with the kids. Uh, if you guys know anything about business that you can put systems into place and you can actually systemize things and get an eight hour workday done in two hours or four hours because things are done well. 
you can do the same thing with school, folks. And so Becky and the kids are always done with school by noon because they're not wasting time going from class to class and doing these PE things that you're just sitting there waiting for the one person to finish their thing. And it's like, so it's really efficient one on four um, and they get done by noon. And so then I'm a little jealous because typically I have more work to do after lunch, but then they're off playing and gallivanting and doing whatever. Um, And then that's when my wife gets to be online and do some other things. And then we have dinner and we hang out as a family, play some soccer and go to bed, wake up the next day and do it all over again. The weekends is where we go exploring. Okay. So you go explore on the weekend. I assume that the kids, as you mentioned, spend a lot of time out outside of the RV then like it's good for spending time outside of the RV as you mentioned because you know you're not it's not as comfortable as if you have a huge house or or you have room everyone has their own place to go so is that is that common where like they're done school and they'll go out and and do stuff outside play outside or explore or is it kind or is that more as you mentioned only in the weekends well they will go outside if we suggest it um, there's there's basically three things that draws their attention. <laughs> so they're normal kids. Yeah, yeah, exactly. There's three things that uh, draw their attention in order of priority. It's their iPads, it's Legos, and then it's uh, building forts outside. Um, I have one daughter. She's the oldest, and then two, three boys after that. And so, you know, she's outweighed pretty heavily, and they start doing boy stuff like building forts. And so she designs the forts for them, and they battle each other and whatnot. So, you know, that's what happens. If we say no to iPads, then they start playing Legos. And then if we say, you really need to get outside, then they'll go outside. So that's... The gist. I mean, they're normal kids. They're not like, I can't say, wow, we're world schoolers and we travel the world. And so our kids are just like free spirits and always at one with nature and all that. No, they're normal kids. They're white gringo American kids who are lazy and selfish and love life and they're fun to be around. But yeah, they want to do, they want to play video games, really. So then your, your expenses and so your day to day life's like that and your expenses for a typical month, because I'm sure a lot of people, you know, are saying, all right, you ran the numbers and now you're actually doing it. And I know some things like running the numbers is different from living the numbers. Um, so what do, <laughs> what does that look like with typical expenses for a month compared to what you think you would be spending or what you were spending in Michigan? So we can give people really a kind of a crystal clear idea of like, is this feasible for a family of, of, well, I was going to say family of four, but a family of six plus a dog. What does it look like for you compared to what you were spending back in Michigan? Well, I'll throw out some numbers here. Um, uh, the normal baseline for a single or sometimes a couple in Southeast Asia is $1,000 a month. If you can make $1,000 a month, you can save money and live a comfortable lifestyle in Southeast Asia as a single person. Um, so that that was what I knew going into this whole lifestyle. Uh, what we were spending spending in the States, um, there's a little gray area between, you know, cause you always, when you have your own business and you're self-employed, you try to write off as much as possible. But generally we were spending between five to six, maybe 7,000 on a, in a given month, uh, depending on how well the business was doing. But I generally say 5,000 just to play it safe on the low end. So 60 grand, we're lower middle class, you know, one working parent. So it's not, um, 
you know, we're not making a ton of money, uh, but then, or at least not spending a ton of money. Um, but then when we relocated and now um, stabilized some of our expenses and that sort of thing, we've gotten it down to, uh, we can, we can flux between two to three grand in a month for the six of us. And so, um, you know, if we're going to do more traveling, there's more fuel expense. So it'll bump up to three grand. If we're going to do less traveling, uh, and, um, and we're in a place where we know the right restaurants and we can get it down to two grand really easily. So, um, yeah, there's been, in fact, there's been two months, uh, in the last, uh, eight months where I didn't pay myself at all. And, uh, and we're able to live, um, our rent where we're at right now for the campground is the most expensive rent we've paid in the last year. Um, and it's $500 a month and that's with all utilities and everything. So, you know, I mean, for a family of six, $500, the reason why we're paying rent is because we have to park our rig somewhere and there's water and electricity and the the output of water i'll say or the output of our bodies and so that needs to go somewhere um so by you know five hundred dollars a month is like i said the most expensive anywhere in mexico um and we're living the high life and so you know that just gives you an idea of kind of what you can do uh to mitigate your costs and for you if we can dive into a little bit about making money and how you're making enough money to stay location pen. I know you said you, you had a job and then you went from that job and you started your own business, but then you kind of glossed over. And if you want to tell the horror sta- uh, story or, or just a little bit of the tale of like losing 90% just like that, because that's enough for someone to throw up their hand and say, all right, it was a good run. We did this trial run. That was fun. But, you know, the universe is telling me like, okay, this is not for us because look at what just happened. But you you didn't do that. You were like, all right, let's figure this out. So how give us a little bit of an idea of, of what you do. And, and because I know a lot of people listening are saying, all right, yeah, I want to be able to do that. I could keep my expenses low, but I need to I need to be able to make some money. And you've been able to transition two different times from a, a regular job to work for yourself to then figuring out after a big obstacle, how to do it again and do it from Mexico or wherever you choose to be. <laughs> exactly. So um, digital marketing is what I do. My background, I'm actually, my education is in youth ministry. So I've got a religious degree. I um, write, I paid my way through college doing IT work. So I'm a certified geek or certified nerd. Um, I left my pocket protector at home, but anyways, the, um, I, after being in IT for so long, I was working for a, for a marketing firm and I was telling the web developers that they were doing SEO wrong because I like to stick my nose in places. And eventually they said, fine, you do it yourself. And so I ended up building a digital marketing department within a marketing firm, hired somebody to replace me, hired a staff under me, that sort of thing. Uh, and it was, you know, I had a good run, um, because bringing the nerdy side in and then also having, you know, the ability to communicate well to people, uh, evidently that's a rare thing. Uh, and so then I was able to leverage that and start a business doing digital marketing. The thing is, while I was working for the agency, I was given leeway because I was kind of moving into a sales position where I was building a department. So I was given leeway to do a lot of networking. And so I, unlike most people, when I started a business, my first invoice was $40,000. And that was on day one. So like, I didn't have this 
how do I build a business? I quit my job. I had three clients lined up. My agency said after a week they couldn't find somebody to replace me and they needed me for two of the projects that I was working on. And so essentially when I quit my job, I was getting, let's say for easy numbers, I was getting $10 an hour there. And now working on the exact same projects, I was getting 40 to $50 an hour. And so it was just like, I'm doing the exact same work and getting paid five times as much. This is crazy. Um, but that's how the story of me starting a business worked. So I can't go out here and say, let me show you how to start a business. It's going to be really successful. You can follow my exact footsteps because it was serendipity. It was, I had a really strong network and I leveraged that network because people liked how I taught them and I taught them for free. Then they were just like, oh, wow, this is great information, but I can't do it. So then they'd hire me to do it. And it worked out really well. It was a, it was a sweet sales model. Um, but then when I left the country, um, everybody was following and they're like, wow, what a great journey. But they all were just like, I, I, you know, Paul's out of Michigan and I only work with local people. And so suddenly my referral network just dried up. And, uh, and so that was uh, my competition at the time. We were good friends. We're still good friends. Uh, he ended up hiring three people while I was gone because his business was booming and I could tell you exactly which clients left me and went to him. And it was just like, uh, it, or th it was more along the lines of they didn't, they weren't referred to me. They were referred to him because he was local. And so it was just, uh, that was the frustration there of there's churn in marketing and churn in agencies. And so I would lose a client, but I was not getting any new clients. And so I was able to ride that for six months or so until finally my three big clients quit. And it was just like, I got nothing. Um, came back to States, uh, reinvigorated my network, uh, which is really what had to happen. Uh, and that was able to build a little bit of an income for me to buy some time to get to the place where I'm at now, which is I've productized services. Uh, figured out a way to develop a system that is beneficial for my staff and for my pocketbook, but at the same time really provides value for my clients. And that's just been a struggle for me for seven years to try and figure out how to do that. I've always wanted to do it. Um, but, you know, uh, again, serendipity of I, I kept throwing ideas out there. Hey, here's a landing page. Here's a pitch or whatever. And now it finally that it took off and uh, I'm dealing with different problems. I've got plenty of sales coming in. Now I've got a fulfillment and hiring issues and all that. So there's always issues, but I was ready to quit when we lost our three big clients and we lost 90% of our revenue um, in, in those two to three months. It, I was just like, I'm a failure. I'm done. I struggle with depression my whole life. And that was a really dark place for me. And, uh, and my wife is an amazing woman. And she's just like, Paul, you can go get a job. I'll support you in that. But you're going to hate it worse than you hate yourself right now. And uh, and she knew me well that once you become an entrepreneur, if it's in you and you get a taste for what life can really be like, it's like, wait, I'm not going to slave away for peanuts just so that you can bill me out at a higher rate. This is stupid. And, uh, and so... Um, like I don't even bill by the hour anymore. None of my staff, I don't even pay by the hour because it's just, there's so many stupid economics there. And for me to go back into that environment would, would be awful. I've had over the course of the years, I've had five or six clients offer me a position and I've just said, well, a, I'm going to cost twice as much as what you're going to get on the marketplace. 
B, I'm never coming into the office. And C, I'm going to speak my mind and you're going to like it or mostly you're going to hate it. And so you don't want to hire me. And, And all of them have just been like, we want you, we can't afford you. And it's like, I'm okay with that. I'd rather do what I'm doing because I don't want to have to fit into their molds and all that. So I was close. I was close to getting jobs. I had applied for many, many, many jobs. And, um, and it was more along the lines of my wife saying, no, I believe in you. Can we live off credit cards for two months while you rebuild this? And, and we did, and we were able to get it back. And I think that's a really important lesson is that I, same, same with you, man. When I, you know, on my birthday, I tell a story. Some people may have heard it, you know, 30th birthday, boom, was making $6,000 a month, thought everything was great. Everything was growing. You know, I just started this move back from Japan. Like, yeah, I'm location dependent. And uh, they're like, nope, down to zero. And all of a sudden I'm sitting there thinking like, well, that was it. That was a good shot. I, I, I gave it my best. Like I did what I, I did exactly what I was quote unquote supposed to do. It was working. And now what am I going to do? And it took a while to pull myself out from that. And luckily because of the support of, of Heather and, and my family and all, you know, I just kept pushing through and making a like a thousand or two thousand a month and like just literally scraping by. And, um, and, you know, at the point I, I was applying for jobs, I was on Monster. I think that's what it's called, right? Monster.com, whatever. Just yep. typing in travel. Like, yep. does anyone want anyone who knows about travel? Like, what am I going to do? And eventually, <laughs> you know, I just was like looking at these positions thinking, even if I got this job, this is so dumb. Like, I would, like you said, I would hate it. I mean, they would be paying me, but it's like, so anyway, it it, it happens to everyone. And, and luckily, if you have like some perseverance and you have a good support system, you pull through on the other side and, and then, you know, life becomes even better than you kind of thought and blah, blah, blah. And it's all rainbows after that. But, um, but no, I think it's, it's, it's really cool that you were able to do it and, um, and that you stuck with it and, and with the support of your family. And I think the one kind of thing that you did say in there, you know, you said, all right, people can't follow my exact footsteps. And that is true. But one neat thing that struck me was that you're getting paid by a company to do something. And then you're getting paid four or five times more when you when you were ready to say like, hey, I'm worth this. And and for you, it was quitting and then and then getting your own clients and coming back. But I think a lot of people don't put the right value on themselves. And this could be a whole other podcast. But it's the idea that, hey, Maybe you are better off freelancing, not only because you have the freedom, but when you come back as a freelancer, you can make three, four, five times as much. And you only need like one or two people to believe in you at that level to really kick it off. Yeah, there's, you know, there's a lot that comes into that. Like, I don't want to gloss over this either and make it all roses here because you do have taxes, you do have extra expenses and all this. And so it, it you need to make three times as much. Otherwise, you're just you're not going to make ends meet. Um, but and then it's also you have the overlap of when you have clients and when you don't have clients and you're going to work on sales when you don't have clients and you're not going to work on sales when you're busy with clients. And this just this it's been done for 40 years and we'll still do it because that's just how humans operate. But there's just something different when you're able to uh, work out of your passion um, when you know that the buck stops with me, either I screwed up or I was really successful. And 
Whereas when I was working with the agency, it was eh, our whole team screwed up or our whole team was successful or I could point the finger here or there. And I never got the accolades, but I had never got the you really suck. And so now when I stepped out on my own, it was um, you, you get both. And and for me, as someone who struggles with depression, like I, I have my wife in place to help me remind me of the success. And, um, and in fact, when I came back as a failure, uh, in my mind, those are my words, no one else's. But uh, when I came back to Michigan as a failure to try and reinvigorate my network, one of my mentors just said, hey, you remember this and you remember that and you remember this. And it was the three really successful projects that I had on my own when I first started. And he was like, the whole community still talks about those three projects. And it's like, yeah, all right, I, I, I did that. I can't push that blame on someone else. I did that. I know what I'm doing. And, uh, and so now it, you know, it's, it's, uh, it gets better when you get on the other side of that situation to be able to go, like, I can develop a productized service and I can talk to somebody about it and I get, they get the little light bulb and it's a no brainer and you go, yeah, I actually know what I'm doing. Uh, this is cool. Uh, you know, uh, there, there are other issues now. We have some process issues and some staffing issues, but it's different because there's money coming in and there's a lot of money going out, but there's money coming in and money doesn't make happiness, but it can solve problems. It certainly can. And I think betting on yourself, that, that idea that you're talking about, you're betting on yourself and whether you, you fail, you own up to it or whether it succeeds and you get to sit back and say like, that was me. It's, it's something that a lot of people don't get to feel because of the job structure and the corporate structure that they're in. And I think it's, it's bad on both sides. It's bad that, you're, that you don't have to feel that, oh man, this is on me. I messed up. Let's figure it out. And it's bad that you're not getting the glory and the accolades and, and feeling that way when you, when you do succeed. And, and that to me is, is maybe the second reason why I love the location independent being your own boss thing behind the absolute freedom that you can have to, to, work on your own schedule and, and all that. But, um, I, I agree. It's, it's, it's betting on yourself and it, and it, it makes life certainly more interesting, <laughs> yeah. and certainly more volatile, but in, in a very, very, very good way. So if we bring it back to travel a little bit and, and, and with what you guys have been doing and you've been traveling now, um, for, for two years, how has your travel, and you, and you touched on this a little bit, but how has your travel changed over the past two years, and let's even say like over the past amount of time that you've been in the RV, is there stuff that you do now that you think like, oh man, I can't believe I used to do this, like lessons learned from from doing it for a substantial amount of time now? Well, I would say for one, um, the lesson learned is that we're not going to be traveling in an RV for very much longer. This is what we have. We can't afford anything else. And so this is this is life, but it, it won't be long for us to find a pr piece of property to rent or buy and park it for good and take the wheels off. Uh, because like I said, it's a fantastic house. It sucks as a vehicle. Uh, and you know, things break all the time. And I didn't sign up for this lifestyle because I loved repairing things and I loved working on houses and I loved like, I have to replace a toilet. Really? Really? Like I'd rather rent a house and and all that. So, um, some of how things have changed is obviously we moved more. We knew we wanted to do slow travel, but it's so tempting to not do slow travel. 
And we fall into that every time we plan something. And we're like, it'll only take us a day to get there. It'll only take us a week to fly through four countries. Like, this is no big deal. And uh, and then we get to the other side and we're like, oh, we're idiots. And um, so, you know, as best we can, like we've had, we have a season here in December. There's going to be 10 days, maybe not 10, seven days, I think, where we're just driving to get to our next destination. And we're prepared for that and we're good. But then once we get there, we're going to be there for a month. And so, you know, trying to do the best we can to, uh, to really per- be purposeful about slow travel. Um, the, the city that we've lived in now, it's called San Miguel de Allende. It's about to give you some geographic points. It's uh, 10 hours south of Mexico, 10 hours south of Texas within Mexico and four hours north of Mexico City. We're up in the mountains. We're at 6,500 feet. It's awesome here. 80 degrees every day uh, and 60, maybe 50s at night. And uh, it frosts in the winter. It doesn't get hotter than 85 in the summer. So like you got everything year round is perfect weather wise. Um, But we were here for, you know, for a medical purpose, like, hey, we're going to sit still for a little while and get some of these longer term nagging issues dealt with. Because guess what? We're free to do what we want to when we want to. And so if we determine that there's a physician here or in our case, a naturopath that we want to spend some time with, we can stay here for as long as we need to. And so we'll end up being here for almost six months by the time we leave. One of the amazing things that has come out of that is We've really gotten plugged into the culture here. And let me tell you, the party scene in San Miguel, and I don't mean like, let's go out and get drunk like Cancun. I mean, the, the, the parades, the fireworks, the, the local scene on, there was a complaint in a gringo forum of for the last month, there hasn't been a 24 hour period without fireworks. And I was cheering going, yes. And you know, like we're able to get invested in this and see things that we never would have seen if we were only here for a week or a month, because you just don't know who to ask. And, there are so many points that you need to visit, like the hot springs, and you have to go take this tour, and you have to go to the ruins and all that. And we've done that now because we've been here so long um, that we're able to then hear about the less well-known things, like the blessing of the horses, where you get a thousand horses marching down a cobblestone street, and you get pushed up to the wall because there's a thousand Mexican, so, you know, wild, tame, it's a, it's a matter of interpretation, horses standing in front of you, and you're just like, oh, okay, and then you don't realize that it's a Catholic mass. It's not just, hey, you're blessed, here's some holy water. We sat there, we stood there for an hour and a half with all these horses who were getting irritated in the middle of the sun, and the cowboys who were all just going, whoo, this is hot, jumping off their horses in the middle of church, going and buying a Coke, and coming back, you know, like... These are amazing experiences that you never would get if you were just here for a week, uh, unless you timed it just right and you knew who to ask. But, you know, we've been able to see some incredible things. We've been able to, like, we needed repair on one of our chairs. And so I know this guy named Manuel now. I know his family because he was able to fix our chair for 20 bucks. And uh, by fix, mean completely redo our chair, recover it for 20 bucks. And so he thinks he's ripping me off. I didn't barter with him at all because I was just like, 20 bucks, <laughs> right. take it. I'm good, you know? Right. Um, yep. 
And, and he did it in a third of the time that I thought it would take him. So, you know, like all of this, we're able to invest. And so how has our travel changed? When we were in Southeast Asia, um, we moved pretty fast. We never stayed in a place longer than a month. And so it was a couple of weeks. And then we had one month long period where we were in 14 different beds, uh, you know, throughout that month. And so it was just like, it was insanity. And we knew it, but we knew we wanted to leave the heat in Southeast Asia. And so we just had to hit all these points and check them off. Like we had to see Patronus Towers. We had to go to Borneo, you know, like when are you going to be back in Southeast Asia again? And so, you know, we had to check all these off. Well, lo and behold, we forgot like some major ones, like, uh, I don't know, the Komodo dragons and such like that. So yeah, we're going to have to go back at some point, but, um, and we completely missed the Thai islands, which who in their right mind would miss the islands in Thailand? Uh, I I don't know. So <laughs> I yeah. guess you guys that too. Yeah. Um but hey, you know, 14, 14 beds in one month, pretty good, especially with a family. I mean, and that's the crazy part is that you're you're doing that fast travel with, you know, lugging around kids and, and a dog or maybe not I guess not the dog then, but not a dog I mean, you're back doing then. it in yeah. a different way. Yeah, from a solo traveler, even a couple. Um so good on you for doing it. And it is, I think you have to do those kind of things. Because that's what you want to do at that point, and then you, you your travel always adjusts, and we talk about that all the time of how our travel style like isn't it, it isn't one thing set in stone. You know, we spend more money when we travel now because we have more money, we want more comfort. We've done the two dollar night hostels, and now even I'm sick of those. You know, and so um, it it just it it does change, and that's fine to change. And so for you guys, after you you're talking about having the RV, you know, great home, not great as a vehicle. You'll park that. Is the goal then to park that somewhere in the States and then, and then kind of have a home base and travel from that. Is it to park it in Mexico or is, or is that too far ahead? Am I getting too far ahead of myself? You might not know. We've, our original plan when we got in the RV was to spend, um, you know, a month in the Baja, a month on the mainland, a month in the Yucatan, and then head for points south. Uh, we spent four months in the Baja. Uh, we're now spending six months in mainland. We're going to spend at least six months in, in the Yucatan. And the reason for that is we love it here. We absolutely love it here. And I've not found a place in Mexico that I like or that I hate. I, you know, I've met some annoying gringos, but very few annoying locals. And it's just like, I, we just love the culture. Every time we're out, you know, going just to get groceries, we see something and we're just like, Viva Mexico. It's just so cool. I can't believe we're living in Mexico. So where are we going to park it with Mexico? My goodness. I don't want to be a part of the States and the fiasco that is the U.S. Um, I'll take my citizenship benefits. I'll pay my taxes for that, but I don't want to live under that. Um, and so, yeah, the, the answer is definitely Mexico, but then it'll be, it'll serve as a home base. One of our, one of, uh, I don't know, bucket list or life goals for my daughter is to have a horse or to have multiple horses. And so it's like, why, you know, when you're dealing with six people, six individuals, you have to take into account everybody's likes and dislikes, and we have to give and take. And so we're doing this for a period of time, but knowing that our next phase in life is going to be where we have a home base, uh, which is going to be the RV, uh, stationary with horses for six months out of the year and having locals take care of our animals 
while we fly around the world after that. So, uh, you know, Machu Picchu, we will still get there. Um, you know, like it, it's, we're still going to get to Ecuador. We're just going to have to fly there. We're not driving and shipping this beast there. Instead, we're going to have our horses here in Mexico and, uh, and continue to travel from there instead of, uh, you know, whatever. And so like, do you put it on the beach and deal with rust or do you fly to the beach and put it in the mountains and deal with perfect weather? Uh, I don't know. We haven't figured that out yet. Well, sounds like you've got a good amount figured out and uh, not a bad life. Not a bad life. Six months, horses, you got your RV, you got perfect weather, and then you can fly back to the Thai Islands, man. You know, just hop on that plane. We'll come meet you there. We'll come meet you down in Mexico. Um, pretty good lifestyle, and it's really neat to see you doing it because a lot of people who come on the podcast, there, there have been people who come on with families before, for sure, but predominantly, and as you know, and one of the reasons you started your site, was that most people are doing it as singles or couples or you know that that's that's basically 90 percent of it and then you got the people who are like oh we we have like kids some kids but i you know most people don't have four um so it is really <laughs> neat that you are out there saying like hey here's how we're doing it pulling no punches uh it's great overall but there's a lot to think about and you're really helping people basically solving a problem that you had when you started and you didn't know what you were going to do and how to deal with it um so so really really cool there and kudos obviously to anyone who is championing location independence of course um before i let you get out of here though we got to ask you about a travel mishap and i'm sure with uh, six people uh there's there's been more than your fair share of travel mishaps there might even be one every day i don't know what the average is over there but um can you give us one that sticks out in your mind as just like all right this takes the cake yeah i will and my wife hates that i tell this story but i did want to back up just a bit uh and and talk about how many people are out here doing this? Because the perception is there of 90% of location independence, because I hate the term digital nomad. Uh, you don't have to be on a computer to be location independent. If you don't know what I'm talking about, come check out my site. I'll help you out. Uh, but what, when we left, we didn't, we couldn't find any other families doing this. Lo and behold, now that we've dug into it and found the resources that aren't made available to us, there's, 20,000, maybe 100,000 families doing this across the world, internationally. In the U.S. alone, there's between 100 and 200,000 families location independent within the U.S. borders. Uh, and so, like, when you're talking international, we're talking anywhere from 20 to 100,000 families. So they are there. They just are shamed into not talking about it. And so my wife and I, our goal is to get out there and get the word out that it's okay to be this way. And here, let's all help each other out. And for those of you who are families who are like jelly or jealous of those, you know, single and couples in their 20s living life. And we want to say, hey, you can do it too. And then also for those who are digital nomads, location independent entrepreneurs, whatever you are traveling the world going, I ain't having kids because I don't want to give up my lifestyle. Hey, guess what? Newsflash, you can have your cake and eat it too. So all of that, that's what we're trying to do is trying to help people understand that, yeah, you can be crazy like us. And, uh, and there are a bunch of us out there. Um, there, you know, and I love that. I never even think of it as being shamed because I just don't, I guess I just don't care enough. Right. I'm like, I'm doing it, whatever. But it, but it is, it's, it's, 
there is people I and again until you said it, I never thought of it that are not a af- yeah that are afraid or don't want to talk about it or, or, or think they're different and here's the thing like as you said newsflash you are different but guess what if you like what you're doing that's good that you're being different like you know isn't that a it's it's a good thing there so really appreciate that you yeah that you are championing it for families and as someone who wants to have a family and is looking forward to that it's always even extra special for me to come on and and get people on who are doing it because even though I know it's true and I see people doing it, you want that reminder, you know, because you, you, you have that doubt in the back of your head of, well, I don't know. I mean, we're not doing it yet, so maybe it will change. And of course, it'll change, but it won't change the general picture, the overall picture. You can still be location dependent and do it. So, yeah, rock on. I'm glad there's that many people doing it because until you you're in it, nope. you don't know. And you don't know all the resources that are available out there, and there are a ton. So, anyways, all that being said... Uh, you know, I was thinking about talking about, because everybody wants to know, you know, like, you got six people. What happens? They're sleeping in bunk beds. They're puking on you. So we could talk about a sickness thing. And there was this one time where for an entire week, the whole week we were in Bulgaria, we were all sick. And it was like, oh, my goodness, nobody knows where we are. I have no cell phone. Our internet and our Airbnb fell flat. I can't even get myself out of the apartment to buy groceries. We're going to die here and no one is going to know. Um, so there's that story, but we'll save that for another day. The story I wanted to tell you about today is the visa run from hell. Um, we, When you get into Mexico with vehicles, uh, the RV gets a 10-year permit. So it can live here for 10 years without any penalty. I don't even have to pay for it. They basically want you to bring your RV to Mexico and leave it here because it's good for their economy. The car, however, only gets a six-month, 180-day permit, and I had to pay $300 for that. And if I don't show up within 180 days at the border with the car, uh, I lose my $300, and then I start getting penalized. So when the car does eventually get caught by the cops anywhere, it can be penalized like, I don't know, some $40 a day, some outrageous number. So, you know... We all had six-month visas, and our car had a six-month visa, which is, it just seems illogical, but whatever. Okay, so our car's got a visa, and our car needs to do a visa run. Fine. So we can't fly out of country. We have to actually drive to the border. And we're in the Baja, and we are not intending, like... We were just sitting still because we loved it there so much. Snorkeling right off the beach. We were we didn't pay any rent at all, living on the beach for free. And it was just like, this is awesome. Why would we want to, you know, mess with this? And so we, we kept staying there, kept staying there. And then we realized, you know what? We've only got a month and we have to hit the border in 30 days. And we knew it, it was coming. But when it shows up on the calendar, it's like, oh, crap, now what? And uh, And so the option was drive three days up to San Diego and and get your visa and and come back down. And it's like, yeah, but we'll never leave this place if we don't leave now. And so we ended up boarding a ferry, uh, which is a story all in and of itself, and then making a plan to drive down the coast and check all these coastal towns that we love and are interested in on our way down to Guatemala. And we're going to do that in one month's time. So that meant every Saturday and Sunday we were driving and five days during the week I was working and cramming everything in. And then Saturday morning, wake up, pack up, drive for, you know, 
five to eight hours a day, whatever, drive the next thing, and then hope that there was a campground that we could park at. And so we had this all plotted out. We got down to our last campground. Now we're only three-hour drive away from the Guatemala border. Perfect. We've got four days to get there uh, and to get our visa. We had to stop and celebrate our son's birthday, you know, a little shindig that we did. And then we jump in the van because we all have to go. It's not just something I can take care of. We jump in the van in the morning and we figure we've got a hotel rented just in case. Uh, There's no need to take the RV. Let's just do this in the van. We drive down there. It's a beautiful morning, three-hour drive. We get to the border. We meet up with some other gringos, and they show us the ropes on on how to do things in Guatemala because evidently it's a little sketchy there. Really sketchy. Uh, and so then we um, we get into Guatemala. We check out, and and as I'm checking out of Mexico, so they're stamping our visas and whatnot, I say to the lady in my broken Spanglish, uh, so we're just going to come back in today. Is that okay? And she's like, yeah. Um, do you want me to stamp them right now? And I was like, really? Like, I don't even have to leave the building and you can just stamp me for the next six month visa. And she's like, yeah. And I'm like, oh, well, we're going to go into Guatemala. Uh, we we want to say that we've been to Guatemala. So we drive into Guatemala and my goodness, that took an hour and a half to go three blocks and these guys are all pulling my chain and trying to get me to do this and spend money here and whatnot. And finally we just get there and we turn around we're like, okay, we're in Guatemala. We paid our import fee for the van and whatnot. We turned around and went back into Mexico. We get back into the building, we get our visas for us. And then we go to get the visa, the temporary import permit for the van. And the lady goes, you don't have the original title. And I was like, I checked everything and I didn't know and I thought I had the title with me and I don't. It's three hours away in our motorhome. And she goes, well, you can go in the country because you have a visa, but your van can't. And so get on a bus. And this was before, since we've been in an RV, we don't need to ride the buses here. And so like, I don't know how the busing system works. And had I known, because now I've ridden the bus, had I known, it would have been $10 for me to jump on a bus and get there and get back and done. I could have solved the problem. But my first mistake was saying, no, I'm not going to get on a bus. We have a hotel in town. I'm not going to put my wife and kids in there. No, instead, I'm going to try and beat immigration and all the military checkpoints and police checkpoints. And I'm going to drive the uh, my van the three hours home to get our title to come back tomorrow and make this legal. And, uh, and I should have stopped. I totally should have stopped. And my wife regrets saying, well, if it's what you want to do, okay. But I mean, it's not like they have your van locked up or anything. We just jump in the van and we're like, okay, let's go for it. We still have the paperwork from our first permit and that might get us by is what I'm thinking because it wasn't expired until another two days. So like, yeah, it's fine. We don't have the sticker anymore, but we've got the paperwork that says we're legal for two more days. And uh, and lo and behold, we got pulled over by immigration. And uh, um, it's one of those situations of where there's two parking spots for them to inspect vehicles. And if those two parking spots are full, they don't stop anybody. And so just as I was pulling up to the gate, the one drove out and I was like, no, we're going to be pulled over. And sure enough, he flagged me in. And so... Here I am, and 45 minutes later, they finally determined that, no, you have to turn around, go to the border, and get your permit. Okay, fine, sure. So they escort me around, and we, you know, drive our van. And it's like, it's on one hand, it's cool because you're just free to go. 
but you can't go past this point. On the other hand, it's like kind of crazy. Like really my vehicle is illegally in, in Mexico. I'm an hour away from the border at the immigration checkpoint. Uh, Like this is weird. And so then all of a sudden I saw on Google maps that there is a little tiny road that goes around the checkpoint. You can get off of the highway there, take this road and get around the checkpoint. And I was like, babe, let's do this. And she's like, I'm not so sure, but if you want to, and she regrets saying that and I regret doing it, but we turn off the highway and it's this back road, barely drivable two track and, um, and it's raised up from the farm field. So like there's no turning around or anything. And, uh, and so we just go and I turn a corner and we keep going we come over a hill and there's the state police and it hits me instantly. You're an idiot, Paul. You're not the only one who knows this road is here, who can see it on Google maps, who knows that this gets past the immigration checkpoint. Guess what? They're looking for people fleeing immigration and you're busted. You can't put it in reverse. It looks way more guilty if you're just like, oh, there's police. I'm going to get out of here. And I was just like, oh, we're totally had. We totally screwed up. We're going to get pulled in Mexican police. I mean, there's fears and nightmares and all kinds of things about this. And so, oh boy, here we go. So we pull up. He asks for our paperwork. We show him our visas. We show him the old, not valid anymore permit, but it doesn't say invalid on it anywhere. And, uh, and he's reading our visas with a fine tooth comb. And like, I don't know if you've ever read the, the legalese on the back of these, you know, immigration papers or whatever, but it's, it's printed on the form and he's reading it word for word. It took him 10, 15 minutes to read it. And at that point I realized these are state cops and they don't know nothing about this paperwork. They don't know anything about immigration and all that. And so I'm like, we actually have a chance. This is amazing. And sure enough, they were wondering why we were on the road. And I came up with some lie about the fact that we had lunch at this town just back there and GPS took us down here. Is there a highway? Please, dear God, is there a highway forward from here? And he's like, yeah, you just go straight and turn right and you'll get to the highway. Great. Awesome. And so we went straight and turned right and we got to the highway, but it was terrible road, cobblestones, big potholes and all this. We got out onto the highway. We're past immigration. We're home free, baby. Another two hours, we'll be at the motor home. My wife is, you know, like, just like, I can't believe this. This is amazing and awful all at the same time. We start flying down the highway and I go to adjust the temperature or the radio or something and take my eyes off the road for a split second it's actually one of the better highways in Mexico that we've been on, nice and smooth, except for that split second where there is a pothole the size of my vehicle. And I hit it, and I hit it hard, and it sounded awful. And when, you know, you know you got a flat tire, so you pull over to the side of the road, and I say to babe, to my wife, Becky, I say, babe, if it's only one, we're okay, we've got a spare, but if it's two, we're screwed. It was three we had three flat tires. And so it was like, you can't even get towed from a tow truck. You have to get lifted onto a flatbed tow truck. So we ended up calling insurance, which they offer free towing, etc. It took an hour for the tow truck to get there. Had I known better, which I know now, the tow truck that showed up that's right in town, 
it would have cost me 20 bucks to have him tow me somewhere. Instead, I was like, oh, I've got insurance for this. They've got up to $1,000 in towing. $1,000 in towing can get you from one side of Mexico to the other side of Mexico. So it's excessive. And, uh, and when the guy, when the tow truck did finally show up, he's like, I'll take you all the way to your house. But you can't ride in the van. You all have to ride in this single cab with me in a stick shift. So here we are, seven of us now, three adults, four kids, and a dog riding in the front cab of a stick shift Grua tow truck. And my wife looks at me and she goes, we haven't had dinner. Well, there's no way on this green earth you're taking me two hours in this thing to our house. Uh, we are stopping at the next town and we are getting a hotel. And so we did. Um the next day, I got on a bus and because, you know, now we need to get vehicle tires for our vehicle. I don't have the cash. I got on a bus, went to our um, motorhome, got the title, put it in a book because I didn't have my backpack. So I just put it in a book and carried the book. I accidentally left the book on one of the buses because you have to take a bus from one town to the next town to the next town. And so I left it on one of the buses and didn't realize it until I was halfway between the next two towns on the next bus and there's no cell reception between towns. And so I was dying for 25 minutes going, uh, you know, and the people around me were wondering what's wrong with this gringo dude. He's just bawling over here dying because he now lost the title to the van. There's no way. I mean, now what, you know, like now you have to wait, what, three months to get a title from the States. Like how, what are we going to do? And, uh, and so then I finally got a hold of my wife. She said, the tires are repaired on the van, get cash and get here. We'll drive back home and figure it out. And so that's what we did. I got the cash, paid for it, got the van, got the wife and kids, drove back. And then just by chance, I stopped at the bus station and they had a lost and found. And I was like, I'm looking for a pink book. This happened to be my daughter's favorite book that she hand colored. And so like that would be more devastating than a title because it's irreplaceable. So way to go, dad of the year. And uh, and I finally get up to this lost and found and I'm like describing, uh, you know, this book and all this. And this lady lifts this thing up and there's the book and I go and grab it and I jump and holler and give her a hug. And all the people are laughing, looking at me again, crazy gringo. What's up with him? It's just a book, right? Uh, and it's a kid's book at that. And so then I left and we had the title the next day. I got the permit for the van. And, but the lady looked at me and she's like, Oh, you're back again. Great. And I was like, you have no idea what I went through for this title. <laughs> Little did she know you went through an epic like 36 hours. Now, if you would have hopped on the bus, like she said, you know, then you would have been fine. All you had to do is hop on the bus, man. You had to take a bus anyway. So there you go. And I ended up paying for the hotel that we'd never stayed at because it was put on a credit card and we didn't show up and didn't cancel. And so it was like, man, I was a real, I made a real bad mistake there. When when it rains, it pours. But luckily, most of your time has been amazing in Mexico, and that makes for an amazing story, regardless of the fact that uh, probably doing it, it was it was pretty bad. And the fact, I just I just love that every time any story you tell, you had four kids with you. <laughs> like that's the best. Like that would be awful enough if you were by yourself or just you and your wife. But now the kids are in the the kids are in the front of the cab. The kids have to deal with it all, so they're gonna be they're gonna grow up and just you know anything they. 
it comes at them, they're not going to be phased. Because like, oh yeah, remember that time we were in a cab for with this weird guy who was tow truck driver? Yeah, they're they're going to be pretty set, pretty set. Or the so. or the stories they tell their kids about their granddad. Yeah, he f- tried to flee immigration and got caught by the state police. You know, it's like, oh yeah, yeah, that was me. Right. Well, you'll make for a good granddad then. Everyone will love that, the granddad with all the crazy stories. So, Paul, thanks so much uh, for joining us today, for regaling us with those stories. And I, I really, your family story is truly amazing and inspirational. I love how open and honest you are about like the good the bad, the ugly, the last story we just heard. Um, it's what makes others actually believe, you know, that they can do the same thing and then get out there and actually do it, which is w- what we're trying to do here. Remember, do things differently, people. So remind people one more time how they can find out more about you and how they can come connect with you and the family. Right. So our personal blog is homealongtheway.com. You can go there and find out about our crazy stories, uh, you know, and we blog about all of that. Uh, but that's like if you want to get to know us and our kids and you care about our story, fine, you can go there. If you want to learn how to actually do this location independent thing as a family, head on over to nomadtogether.com. We have got a free podcast, a free Facebook group, and an ebook out there. Um, and we're developing new solutions as we as we grow this. But nomadtogether.com. And if you're on Facebook, you can search for Location Independent Families. There's a group there that we moderate that is strictly only for people who have kids or who are planning on having kids and uh, and want to either are living this lifestyle or want to. Um, we'd be happy to have you there. Awesome. Thank you so much. And everyone, we will be uh, putting that in the show notes. Don't forget, if, if you're listening, you're like, okay, I forget what he's saying, or we'll be linking up all that stuff in the show notes, extrapackofpeanuts.com slash pods. You can get all the episodes there, all the show notes for every episode, including this one. So check that out. That's where everything lives. I want to give a shout out too. if you guys um, are looking for a good travel backpack, don't forget Tortuga Backpacks sponsor this show. Uh, great carry on backpacks. You can go to tortugabackpacks.com. Use the promo code EPOP, E-P-O-P, all capital letters. I'll 10% off your entire order. And Paul, once again, thanks so much for coming to us live from the uh, the kids' room, I guess, the back bedroom of the uh, 37-foot Gracie. Really, really appreciate it, man. Happy to be here. Thanks for having me. And uh, thanks for all that you do for the traveling community. Hey, it's my pleasure. Everyone, thanks for, uh, for tuning in today. As always, thanks for uh, the continued support that makes us the number one rated travel podcast on iTunes. And until next time, happy free travels. I'll see you.